Heavenly Father, we do thank you for all of your word, even the parts that are difficult for us to understand and strike great fear into our hearts. Lord, we pray that we may submit to the teaching of your word again today. Lord, may we have teachable hearts because your Holy Spirit has ploughed through them and prepared them for your seed. And so, Lord, we pray that you may draw a great harvest from our hearts today as we study your word together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I think we all recognise that certain characteristics of people show who they actually belong to, who their parents are. Jill uses Facebook. I am tentatively on Facebook. It is there for people to know how to contact me. I don't actually post anything to Facebook whatsoever, but Jill uses it a bit, and she puts up photos of our family. And if there are photos that Jill has used, she's put up, and then goes to tag, and she hasn't tagged them. So if you don't know what Facebook is... Uh, I won't begin to explain it in great detail, but basically you can put a photo up and then other people that are on Facebook, you can tag their faces within the photos that you have put up. And so Jill will put up some photos and she'll forget to tag them. And Facebook will come along and say, oh, is this person in the photo Joel Radford? So they will show a picture of me and say, is this Joel Radford? And so Jill's meant to click yes and it tags it and then other people can, if they look at the photo, they go, who's that person? And they go, oh, it's Joel Radford. And she'll have all these photos showing me where she hasn't tagged me. But then, funnily enough, photos of Joshua show up. And Facebook asks, is this Joel Radford pointing to Joshua? And I was quite touched when I first saw this because it shows that he is my son. The facial recognition software in Facebook is actually recognising that the facial features of me, of myself, are there in Joshua. It hasn't shown Pippa, sadly, but, um, but she is female, so it's not surprising that much. But Joshua is showing up as, is this Joel Radford? Now, I did mention that I was going to, uh, that this had happened, uh, uh, that I was going to use this as a sermon illustration this week. And, uh, and another friend that I was talking to about it pointed out that it could be that other people have tagged Joshua Face with my name so that I would see it. My sister might have done that. And so it may not be facial recognition software that's actually doing it. But I still like the warm, fuzzy feeling that I have that Joshua looks so much like me that the computer software actually thinks that photos of Joshua are photos of Joel. But then we've got to ask the question, what about the characteristics of Christ? We want to know that we are Christians. How can we know that we have the personal characteristics of Christ? We've been looking at a very difficult passage in Hebrews chapter 6, and I've been saying again and again that things that look like they are characteristics of Christians actually are not. And those characteristics are in verse 4 and 5, where we read in chapter 6 of Hebrews, page 1187 of the Black Church Bibles, We read that it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. And in previous weeks I've explained that these characteristics, which look like they're characteristics of Christians, 
aren't necessarily characteristics of Christians, that non-Christians can possess these and not actually belong to Christ. Now, that may have been troubling for you, as it should be, that there's a warning there that we can look very much like a Christian and actually not be a Christian. And so then you might be saying, okay, well then, what actually makes me a Christian? What, what should I look like if I'm a Christian? How can I know, how can I have assurance that I am saved? If I can't look at these characteristics like enlightening and tasting heavenly gifts and sharing the Holy Spirit and tasting the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if those things I can't look for in my life and see that they're there and they make me a Christian, then what should I look for that is a sign, a characteristic that I am indeed a Christian. And that's what I'm going to look at today as we come to particularly verses 9 and 10. We'll also look at verse 7. In verse 9 we see that the author turns from speaking to non-Christians to Christians. And we see that in verse 9. He says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, better characteristics in your case, these Christians that he's writing to, things that accompany salvation. And so my first main point this morning that will help us recognise whether you are a Christian or other people around you are a Christian is that you are blessed. Christians are blessed. And that's my first main point. If you want to follow my main points, they're printed on the back of the church bulletin. And the first is that Christians are blessed. If we were to have facial recognition software for Christianity, for Christians, first thing we'd note is that Christians are blessed. The person who doesn't fall away but presses on and has true faith will receive blessings. We see that in verse 7. Verse 7 reads, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. We receive blessings from God, but Christians and non-Christians both receive blessings from God in that illustration that's given to us in verses 7 and 8 where there's land described, there's land that produces thorns and thistles, and there's land that produces a fruit, that produces a crop. They both receive blessing from God, but then there is also the blessing of God that is given to that that produces a crop. We see in verse 7. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop, useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. Now, what is the blessing of God? Well, blessing is an honour. If you bless someone, you honour them, you praise them, you glorify that person. And that is what we do with God when we say, blessed be God. We bless God and so we give him honour and praise due him. And the wonderful thing is God also blesses us. He gives us many blessings and he honours us. He says, well done, good and faithful servant, if we serve him as we should if we do what he asks. And so a Christian, one of the characteristics of them is that they are blessed. The other characteristic that we see part of the blessing is that they receive salvation. And we see that in verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. What does it mean to be saved? Well, it means the opposite of what I spoke a lot about last week about that land that we read about in verse 8 that produces thorns and thistles. What does that receive? In the end it says it will be burned. It is in danger of being cursed and in the end it will be burned. And so the opposite would be to not be cursed, not be burned, 
But not just that, but to actually receive a wonderful paradise that we are saved from our sins and go in, as the Bible tells us, to a heavenly home where there's no pain, there's no crying, there's no sin, and where Jesus Christ himself is. That is salvation. And that is a characteristic of a Christian. You can know who a Christian is because they receive salvation, because they receive blessing from God, they receive honour from God. But you may say, okay, great, but I don't have salvation now that I can visibly see. I'm not in heaven. And yes, I may be blessed by God, but I'm not, I haven't see, received that well done, good and faithful servant yet. So that is a characteristic of a Christian, yes, that they're saved. And as I've said in previous weeks, this is one of my main reasons for saying that these are Christians that are spoken of later on, is that they have received salvation. Non-Christians don't receive salvation. The rest of the Bible is clear on that. But how can you know here and now that you are a Christian? What characteristics can you see in your life to show that you are a Christian and give you assurance? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. Christians work. Christians work. And we see that in verse 10. He follows on from verse 9, speaking to his dear friends, and he says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Christians should look at the work that is being presented in their life and they can then know that they are Christians. Christians aren't people who are passive and do nothing. They work. And we see that in the, uh, the picture of the land in verse 7 as well. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop. You're supposed to produce fruit as a Christian. You're supposed to produce fruit that is useful, it says there in verse 7. It cr- produces a crop useful, and it's supposed to be useful for whom it is farmed, which is God. So you're pro- supposed to be working, you're supposed to be producing fruit, you're supposed to be producing fruit that is useful, and you're supposed to be producing fruit that is useful for God. As a Christian, we are expected to work. And if you want to look at your life and see if you are a Christian, then you should be looking for work in your life. You should be looking for hard work and that you're producing fruit and that you're producing fruit that's useful and that is for God, useful for God's kingdom. And this is helpful for us to look at because when we look at the other group that is described in verses 4 and 5, they're very passive in what they are the, the description that is given of them. They are being enlightened. They have tasted the heavenly gift. They've shared in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. They don't seem to be doing much. They're doing a bit of tasting. They're sharing in things. They're having an enlightening given to them. But they aren't doing much hard work. But as a Christian, that is what we're supposed to do. We're meant to be rolling up our sleeves and getting to work. But we've got to be careful that we don't think that work as a Christian is actually what saves us. We are supposed to work as a Christian, but not to be saved, but because we are saved. It's very interesting the way that is described in verse 9. It says, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we're confident of better things in your case. And those things I'm starting to unpack in verse 10. But then how does he describe it? Things that accompany salvation. They don't earn salvation. They come with salvation. 
The way we get salvation is by repentance and faith, that we trust in Jesus Christ. Work doesn't save us. Doing good works for God, producing fruit that is useful for him, does not save us. Trust in Jesus Christ's death of the cross saves. And then we're given salvation. And then what comes with the salvation? Work. And the Apostle Paul would agree in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 10. He says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created for good works. We're saved by grace, yes, but for good works. And so if you want to know if you are a Christian, if you have the characteristics of Christ, you should see some hard work in your life for God, fruit produced that is useful. But you may be saying, okay, well, what is the work that God wants me to do? He says work here. There's lots of things that could be classified as work that is hard to do. What is it that I should be doing? What is the other characteristics that I can see as a that make up a true Christian. And that brings me to my third main point this morning. Christians love God. Christians love God. And we read that in verse 10 as well. It says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him. The love you have shown him. If we are a Christian, we should love God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to love God? Well, at a minimum, it means that we should know God. You can't love people you don't know. You can't say, I love God, and then someone says, but who is God? And you've got nothing in your head about God. It'd be crazy to say that you love somebody else in the world and you you don't even really know anything about them. So you want to know about him. You want to be enlightened. You want to learn more about him. And, of course, you want to be loving toward him, have a loving attitude toward him, where you delight in him, you adore him. And so you will speak to him, And you will let him speak to you as you get to know him and adore him and praise him. That's what you should be seeing in your life if you are a Christian. And of course you want to be serving him, producing fruit, working hard. We understand that love is not just an attitude, but love is the way that you act towards someone and the way that you do things for that person. And so if you love God, you can't just say that with your mouth and say, yes, I love God. And someone says, oh, do you know him? And you give some ideas about what you know about God. But then you don't actually do anything. No, we're meant to work. We're meant to do things that God would have us do to express love toward him. And even just coming to church this morning, that's an act of love toward God. You're coming together to encourage brothers and sisters in Christ and to worship God as you should. That is an act of love that you've gotten up on this cold winter morning when it would be nice to stay in bed with a nice electric blanket on, you've come because you love God. And that is a characteristic of a Christian. Christians who don't go to church, you've got to wonder, are they actually Christians? Because they obviously don't want to know about God and they don't want to love him with the other people that gather each Sunday morning. They don't want to praise him as they should and have that adoring attitude toward him. So if... You want to know what the personal characteristics are of a Christian? Well, there's someone who works, someone who loves God. Is there any other characteristic that we can look at? And that brings me to my fourth main point. Christians help Christians. 
Christians help Christians. And we see that in verse 10 as well. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. As you have helped his people and continue to help them. These people who have salvation, who are blessed by God, and clearly Christians, are people who help other Christians. They help the saints, is a literal translation of that word, his people. Saints, the sanctified ones. That is who you're meant to help if you're a Christian. You're meant to, at a minimum, be helping those around you who are Christians. When are you supposed to do that? Well, he gives us two times that we're supposed to do that. What does he say in the text? God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people, have helped his people, and continue to help them. If you are a Christian, you should have helped other Christians in the past and you should be helping them now and continuing to help them. It's not as though helping other Christians is a box that you can tick and say, I've done that work for God and that's all over. And so I know I'm a Christian because I've helped Christians in the past. I always think that, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned this before recently, but baptism has to be one of the easiest commands that God has given us to do. Because basically you get baptised and then that's it. There's no continuous baptism that we do every week. You tick that box, you move on. And so I, I never understand why people aren't eager to get baptised because it's so easy. You get it done and it's dusted and you move on. Whereas helping other Christians is something that we've done in the past, but we continue to do. It's a harder job than baptism. Much harder task. But that is what we're called to as Christians. We're called to continue helping the saints. You may be saying, okay, well, what is the help that I'm supposed to give to God's people if I'm a Christian? Well, it could be summed up as love. Just like we've seen that we're meant to love God, we're meant to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And 1 John 3, that passage that we read before, speaks very clearly about how this shows that we are God's people. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we read, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know and that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. 1 John, the Apostle John and the author of Hebrews are on the same page. If you claim to be a Christian... And you do not love your brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot claim to be a Christian. That is what this text is saying to us in in Hebrews, and it's what 1 John says as well. And so if we are to help God's people, then we must love them. What does it mean to love them? 
Well, similar to the way that we love God. We must know our brothers and sisters in Christ. If you don't come to church, it obviously shows that you have no interest in your brothers and sisters in Christ because you can't get to know brothers and sisters in Christ unless you gather with them. Just like you can't get to know God if you aren't coming regularly to worship him at church as well, you can't get to know your brothers and sisters. And if you come to church and then duck off very rapidly afterwards, then you're not getting to know them either. You might know their faces, but you're not going to know much about them else, uh, anything else. And so, of course, if you're going to help your brothers and sisters, you've got to know who they are, and then you've got to also get to know them when you come to church and be loving towards them. Have a loving attitude towards them and help them where they need help. Which is what the text is saying, that we help his people and continue to help them. A good summary of what it means to be loving towards someone, of course, is given by that famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 by the Apostle Paul. He describes love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Is that a description of how you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? I know that passage is a favourite passage for weddings. You bring out what is love for the, for the husband and the wife, and that's what they're meant to do towards one another. Just do what this, how love is described here. And that's good. Yes, I'm not saying that's wrong. But this passage about love is not just about love between spouses. It's love between us and our brothers and sisters and those around us, our neighbours. That is the love that we should see. And so if you want to know if you're a Christian... You need to look at whether you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know them? Do you help them? Do you love them in the way that Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians 13? And if you see the work of love there, be encouraged. This passage is a scary passage for us to read because it describes people who look very much like us but then we see that they can fall away and be eternally damned. But there is an encouragement here as well. If we have the better things that are described here, then that means we are saved and we're going to heaven. And God knows that we are those kinds of people. It's very encouraging the way he says that in verse 10. He says, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. And the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. God is not unjust. He remembers. He does not forget. Don't think that, oh, I'm not sure I'm a Christian, but I can see the work. I can see the love in my life. But how do I know then that I really will be saved? If you can see it, God can see it. And he doesn't forget. He's not unjust. It's interesting that we see that even in that passage from 1 John chapter 3, that it's like the author of Hebrews and John are on the same wavelength, almost like there's some supernatural spirit behind them writing the both books as well. Where we read in 1 John chapter 3, it says, uh, For God is greater than our hearts, just after he's been speaking about loving your brothers. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. 
just after he's been speaking about the way that you're supposed to love brothers and sisters in Christ. Dear friends, if our hearts can, do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. God knows everything. And so there's this encouragement here as we can be very unsettled by this passage that we may not have salvation. But then we look at ourselves and we see that we have the better things. And God knows that we have the better things. And if God knows, then we really will have salvation and we can be encouraged. So the question for you this morning is, do you have the characteristics of a Christian? If there was facial recognition software for Christ, would you show up? Would the software come up with a picture of you and ask, is this Christ? Would that be said of you? Or is being a Christian for you about coming along to church, being enlightened, sharing in the Holy Spirit as people are encouraging to you by the Holy Spirit, and you may even receive some gifts, you may taste the goodness of the word of God, you may taste the heavenly gift, you may taste some of the powers of the coming age. That's what it means to be a Christian. If that is you, then you are not saved. But if you have the characteristics of a Christian as described in verse 9 and 10, you have salvation, you have that blessing that you're looking forward to, and you work hard, you produce a crop that is useful for the one whom it is farmed, for God, you work hard, you love God, you love the saints by helping them both in the past and continuing on today and tomorrow and the day after, then take heart. You are saved. Those are good evidences that you can cling to that you really are one of God's people. And God does not forget that work. You can be confident in your salvation. Do you have the characteristics of a Christian? Let us speak with our God now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and how it does tell us the way of salvation. And then it tells us that we can be assured of our salvation by examining our lives and seeing if there is love there for God and love for our brothers and sisters in Christ and love for our neighbours. Lord, we pray that we may keep the two greatest commandments of all your law, to love God and love our neighbour. And may we do this not so that we can earn our salvation. Lord, may we see the foolishness of trying to do good work for salvation when we are such great sinners. But Lord, instead, may we trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and then do good work, love God, love our neighbours, because we are saved. And when we see that work going on in our lives, may we delight in it, knowing that you are not unjust. You do not forget what we do. And so we assuredly will inherit salvation. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.